Welcome back to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Training camp is about to begin, so we thought it about time that we uh, dusted off the microphones and got back to it. Um, the sporting world full of chat about a player with one year left who's probably going to leave before the end of the window. We'll talk about Gustavo Hamer at a different time and juncture. Though myself, Joe Court is as ever joined by Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm already rattled after that. <laughs> But it's a new season. This is the year we crack 10, 10 listeners every week. It's going to be a good season. It's going to be great. Yeah, and joining us, uh, probably someone who's probably kept way more uh, attention than the finger on the, the Seahawks balls than myself and Adam have over the off-season. Uh, Mr. Rob Staten, how are we, sir? Uh, great, but absolutely desperate for this big, boring bit where nothing happens to end so that the uh, the Seahawks can get playing again and and we can get on with it because it feel, I don't know about you guys, but it feels like this period between the draft and 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 I guess the first preseason game has just felt really long this year. So long. Yeah. So it, long. It, it doesn't feel like they've played this year. I know they only played twice, but it, it doesn't feel like I'll watch the Seahawks. And... Maybe all time gets slow when you become a dad, but oh my goodness, it has dragged since uh, since this <laughs> since the start of the off season. That's for damn sure. Yeah, um, the the most recent story will start there is connected to the draft. De- Devon Witherspoon has still not signed his slotted rookie contract. The, he, he knew what he was probably going to get um, three and a half months ago, but he still hasn't signed. It's it feels like the first one like this since they started slotting on um, Rob. Yeah, it's it certainly is. This is the first time the Seahawks have faced something like this in this current collective bargaining agreement or, or since the rookie pay scale came in, rather, I should say. I, I don't think there's anything to worry about, though. He knows how much he's going to get. It's one of these things where what what's he going to do? You know, hold out for the whole season and then re-enter the draft next year and the Seahawks get a first-round pick from whoever takes him. It's it's just not realistic. He knows what he's going to get. It's it's a quibble over, uh, you know, how much he gets now versus how much he gets in the future. It wouldn't surprise me at all if by the end of the day it's sorted or at some point tomorrow it gets sorted. I, I'm not worried about this at all. It needs to get done. I just want to see him out there, though, because he didn't do a lot in minicamp because of a hamstring issue. He didn't really do anything in the pre-draft process because of injuries. And given that Tariq Woolen is what starting on the pup list and there's there's a few injury issues. Obviously, Jamal Adams is still hurt and there's, there's a few others out. The sooner that he gets out there, the better and shows us what he can do. I think we'll all feel a bit reassured about that because this is the fifth overall pick at the end of the day. It's not just some guy, is it? It's like... It's been- <laughs> They spent the fifth overall pick on this guy. We want to see him out there making plays. Yeah, it's it's all a bit strange, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that camp feels like it goes on for a little while. But you know, you get into that first preseason game quite quickly, and it ticks over into August very soon. And you know, it, it's not long until the season starts. As long as you know, as much as training camp feels like it drags, what with the, the preseason stuff, you know, I don't want to be overly cliched, Rob, but. It, you know, every day at practice, especially for the rookies, does count, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It really does count. And I think we saw last year the fact that everybody in that draft class that was uh, so vaunted got in there and was able to perform and to practice. And they came in with the right attitude. You know, Pete Carroll said a few times now that the class from last year 
they turned up and they'd not spent, you know, the summer doing things they shouldn't be doing, you know, eating the bad things or, or none of them had certainly gone on and, and, and done anything like Malik McDowell had done in the lead up to training camp. They were all they're very sensible, came into camp ready to go and it paid dividends for them in their rookie seasons. And this is what you want to see from this group as well. Everybody's there except Devon Witherspoon. So hopefully this is going to get sorted. It will be, you know, everybody else is signed now. This is going to get sorted. He's going to miss, I'd predict, maximum sort of two days, three days, and then he's going to be out there. But let's get him out there. You know, we want to see him out there healthy, working out. We're relying on him to have a big impact. You know, I keep seeing these ranking lists. I think Hugh Millen did something this week saying, you know, what's what positions are good, great, or poor for the Seahawks. And he's got, the, I think he'd given that cornerback or defensive back or something, a great score or a good score. Well, that yeah, but there's a lot of potential there, isn't there? But we need to see it now. You know, we need to see Witherspoon out there. We need to see Tariq Woolen healthy and living up to what's going to be a lot of hype now after a great rookie season. We need to see those guys out there. So the sooner the better in that regard. Yeah, but it's it's a it's a clubhouse lead for people like Mark, Michael Jackson, isn't it? Who had a strong last year and he's now the starting cornerback the first couple of days, first weekend of camp. Well, he gets that first chance, doesn't he? And. I think if Woolen and Witherspoon obviously play to the level that everybody hopes and expects, then it's going to be really difficult for him. But good for him that he's apparently, you know, the Seahawks made a big point. I did think it was a bit of Carol PR, propaganda, whatever you want to, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is here, just hype. Maybe, maybe hype's the right word. When he was saying that Mike Jackson had the best mini camp of everybody, I think that was an, a nod towards, yes, we've drafted the cornerback fifth overall, but you're, we still want to motivate you. So let's say that you had a great camp, and he may well have had a great camp, but the, the sort of acknowledgement that he was the best, I think was probably also a little note to Devin Witherspoon and to Tariq Woolen to say, look, you've not got, you're not automatically going to be starting here just because of a high draft pick or a good rookie season. So I think that was clever from Carol. It's, it's, Clever to the extent that, you know, I think we've kind of worked out what he was doing there. But I thought Michael Jackson had a good season last year and it's good depth. It's good to see the Seahawks have got depth at cornerback for the first time in a long time. And I think that's one thing we've come to learn with the NFL over the last few years as well, is that depth is important. And the Seahawks have at times not had good depth at cornerback. They've not had good depth at running back. And those are two positions right now that you feel really good about. Got a lot of players there um, and that will do them the power of good this season. Yeah. Is, is Trey Brown healthy? Well, he's is... starting today. He's apparently he he and Brett and Jackson are the two starting corners today for the first day of camp. Cool, uh, Adam. Yeah, I was uh, listening to that show where Hugh Millen did his rankings, and uh, he had the tight end group as poor. And uh, someone responded saying, "You know, I agree with all of this, but I think you're really harsh on the tight ends." And then someone else did their rankings, and you know, it was good this and great that, and very good this and good that. And look. In a way, there's not that much I can disagree with. and But I'm just wondering if going into the season now, um, what do you think the, the sort of the, the raw target should be at this stage? Because looking at the way everyone breaks it down, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, they've got the third receiver in Smith and Jigbo. They've got two great cornerbacks. They've got you know great safeties. They've got young tackles. They've got Zach Charbonnet. So they've got there. Gino Smith's going to be brilliant again. Yeah, it's not for me to sort of disagree with it or whatever, but the way in which people are talking, it's almost like they're sort of slating the Seahawks for for 12 wins. But if they don't get that, then what are people going to say is the reason for them not getting it? Because preseason optimism seems to be as high as ever at the minute. And optimism is fine 
if it's just being optimistic, that's fine. But I think what you've said there, Adam, is absolutely true. You just get this sense from the fan base that they're getting a bit carried away. And I think just now is a good time. And look, people won't want to hear this. People will think this is a negative thing or, oh, you know, you're just doing that. No, this isn't a negative thing. This is about being realistic about where this team is. There's nothing wrong with saying there's a reason to be optimistic about the cornerback position because they've got two really good young cornerbacks or that, yes, they've got a, a third receiver now and the receiver position looks loaded or that it's good that they've, they've drafted two bookend tackles to have a reasonable first season in the NFL. But, th- but these are all young guys and a lot of them are going to come into year two or even their first year in the NFL. We've got no idea how this is going to pan out. We need to see it. And these players deserve the opportunity to go out there and yes, make some mistakes and learn from those mistakes. The Seahawks have got enough talent overall to be a pain to play against in the NFC and they will win some games and they're not. I suspect they're not going to be an easy out for any team, but they're also a team that is very young in certain areas that does have a few I would say fairly significant question marks in particular, like that defensive line, the interior. I've just seen something from Pete Carroll saying that essentially Jaron Reed's going to be the nose tackle now. You know, it feels like that's just, they're just trying to plug somebody into what I think is, I don't think is unfair to say, is possibly the most important position in this defensive scheme. You know, you need somebody who can anchor that line and and help you defend the run. And, and it does feel a little bit like Jaron Reed's just, well, we'll just give him a go there now. It's not, You know, Jaron Reed might be able to do that. He anchored very well at Alabama as, uh, you know, before he came into the league, but he's not really played as a nose tackle in the NFL. And he's not that big 330-pound beast that you would usually expect to be there. He's certainly not the size of Al Woods, is he? So that's, that's what I would say. I think if people go in there with a feeling of being, if it's too much, they're getting a bit carried away, and they're setting themselves up to be disappointed. I still think that a realistic way of viewing the Seahawks team is they probably need another off-season to get to the point where you can go into the year going, oh, yeah, here we go. They're ready to really go. And, and even then, you know, we need to see Geno Smith have a really good season as the second year in the row as a starter. We need some of these young guys to step up. So even that needs to happen before we get to that place. If all that happens, then we can go into next year, I think, thinking, right, bring it on. You know, there's, there can be a real contender in the NFC. Right now, I still think this is a young team who deserve the chance to make a few mistakes, to have a few games that they probably will lose that they shouldn't lose, but will probably win a few games maybe that they shouldn't win as well. And I, and I think it will probably be an improvement on last season, but I don't think by... I'd, I'd be a bit surprised if we're suddenly sat here watching a 12-13 win team this year. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a bad thing. That's just where they are. It's year two of, of this process. Yeah. Also, there's been some national names. Lewis Riddick was saying that he thinks that the Seahawks are going to be the dark, dark horse of surprise. I know it's just words at a certain point in late June, early July, but it is a national conversation as well. Um, yeah, but like the 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 thing with the Seahawks team for me, it kind of feels like the uh, England bowling attack going into this fifth test because it's going to break at some point this weekend, and it's what comes after that, isn't it? Because there's a lot of Jamal Adams. Tariq Wallen's going to be coming back from injury. Weatherspoon's going to miss time. Bobby Wagner's uh, not getting any younger. And then on the the offense, they kind of seem they had the the the, the kiss the lucky the lucky stone kind of thing and kept healthy up front, which obviously had a big impact. And they can't stay healthy in the running back room no matter what they do. It kind of feels as soon as it breaks, there's not a lot else coming up behind it, and that's kind of that could, could and maybe will or would scupper any any optimism 
pretty early on if if it happens, Adam. Yeah, I, I think it, it this season more than any other, it feels like people are just slating things to happen that will be good. And, and that's totally fine. But, you know, if, if it sounds <laughs> <dare> like... <laughs> no, 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 no. But it, it, and it's great. But it, it, it kind of feels that there's almost like a bit of a, a Madden-esque thing going on whereby JSN has been bookmarked for 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns in the slot, despite the Seahawks never really doing that. Now, maybe that's because they haven't had the personnel to do it. But it's a, it's a, it would be quite a dramatic change of scheme for that to automatically happen. Um it's been put down, you know, Kenneth Walker's going to have a better year than last year, and Zach Charbonnet is going to be great as well. Uh, Geno Smith is just going to keep rising. Um, the two cornerbacks aren't going to allow a single throw against them <laughs> over the course of 17 games. Look, obviously being very hyperbolic, but Rob, if if some of these things aren't to happen because, you know, reality bites, and I'm really not trying to be negative about fan base. I know we've been criticised about that in the past and that's really not what we're trying to do here. I think we're just trying to sprinkle some realism dust on perhaps some of the off-season buzz. I mean, if a couple of those things aren't to happen as is being foreseen, what what do you reckon the most likely sort of realism bumps are are going to be? I think what's the the slight concerns that I have, and look, there's a lot of excitement. You just listed some of the things there, Adam. They could go either way, really. Um, I think you're absolutely right, though, to have a little bit of reservation. Like, you know, can Shane Waldron make the most of these weapons? I think that's a fair question to ask. And it's entirely possible that the answer will be a resounding yes. You know, that we might sort of sit here 12 weeks in and go, wow, look at that. You know, these three great receivers... He's found a way to get the tight ends regularly involved. There's a you know good stable of running backs. There's, he's got all the ingredients there to to have a successful year. Um, but it you know we kind of have to see. I, I can remember things like was it the Arizona game on the road last season where the tight ends were like a focal point, a lot of bootlegs dumping it off to the tight ends. They had like loads of yards and they were like the mainstay of the offense and getting things going. I think it was the Arizona game, and you know lots happened since then. So my memory's not great. And then like the following like three weeks, they barely use the tight ends. And you kind of think, well, where did that go? You know, is it the overthought this a little bit? You know, is it a bit too obvious to go away from that? You know, that teams can't do it. And then, you know, we had we had a moment last season before the Tampa Bay game in Germany where, you know, we were kind of wondering, wow, what could this team actually achieve? And then they had a really rough period. And I think that's what it is. There's just gonna be some peaks and troughs. I think there's gonna be some games where the Silks look fantastic. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they got off to a really good start. But then I, I suppose as the season goes on and as some of these younger players get deep into their first NFL season or even their second NFL season, as a few injuries maybe set in, they might have a couple of rough moments. But then maybe they can they can get it back together at the end of the year in a way that they perhaps couldn't last year. I, I still think that for me, the main thing that will that I think is the big question that has to be answered is what are we going to see on defense? I have got enough faith in that offense to be a threat most games. That doesn't mean that Geno Smith's going to be MVP or that Jackson Smith and Jigba's going to be the rookie of the year on offense or anything like that. But I I think that they can be very, very potent offense because of all the weapons they've got. It's that defense. You know, is Clint Hurt a defensive coordinator? Can they defend the run? Can they avoid what we've seen, it feels like for the last three, four, five years, however long it's been, where they start the season and don't look like they know what they're doing on defense, where they're giving up 500 yards a game and loads of points 
And Pete Carroll's coming out and going, we've just got to make a turn. We've just got to get it right. We're so close. We're so close. And then it takes weeks and weeks and weeks. And eventually they do go, they show a bit of improvement. But can we avoid that this year? Can they potentially start defence, not, not necessarily as a top 10 unit, but just not a shambles, you know, for the first five games? That would be fine. And also, is the run defence, is something just as simple as, can they defend the run better? And this isn't a Seahawks problem. This is a scheme problem. Most of the teams who play this scheme that Seattle's using have problems defending the run. So it's not something that's unique to the Seahawks, but can they find a fix for that? Can the pass rush be more consistent right from the off without having to blitz as much? Because they've invested a lot in edge rushes now. You know, can can these are the kind of the questions that we've got. And it, like I say, is Clint Hurt a, a, a good enough person to run an NFL defense? That feels like a question going into year two. If they can answer those questions, and if they can put a defense on the field that's even just like 15th in the NFL or 16th or middle of the pack, they can have a really good year. But that's the question for me. And I think that's something that we have to acknowledge because right now there are some, on paper, some potentially really exciting things about quarterbacks and, you know, people, pass rushers, investment there, and people like Bobby Wagner being back and you know stuff like that, Quandre Diggs and stuff. There are reasons to write things down and go, that could be good. There's just a few things that need to be corrected as well. Has it has, come out of the draft weekend? Is there any, any questions that you had that lingered that have like crystallized into like making sense for you? Like the Chardonnay pick a year after Walker, the Derek Hall pick the year after Mafic. Is there anything that was like? Lingering questions that have kind of crystallized a bit clearer for you, or is it? I, I love the draft. I was, I was complete. I was all in on the draft. You know, I, I had no question marks really. I thought it was. I like Zach Charbonnet going back to the previous draft. I was shocked that he didn't declare and went back to UCLA. And love the pick. You know, I think he's a really good running back. Derek Hall, exactly the kind of player that I want to have on my team. Uh, I had no issue with the Devin Weatherspoon selection. Um, you know, as you, you kind of go through the draft, I thought it was, I give it an A plus, you know, and I give the last draft an A plus. And I'm not someone who just throws out A pluses because it's my team. You know, I genuinely would criticize them if I felt it was necessary. And I, I didn't see anything wrong with the drafts. So I, I'm really happy with the drafts. Um, I just, and I think it's encouraging. I think in terms of a rebuild and a reset or whatever you want to call it, they've done a really good job putting this roster together after two years. But it's also two years, isn't it? This is year two after they drew a line under the Russell Wilson era, got a whole bunch of draft picks, and they're now, we're now going through the process of putting the team together. And it may take another year. It just may take another year. That's I don't, th- I don't personally feel that's negative. I feel that's realistic. But I would say that the Seahawks are on the right track. Yeah, Adam? If... Um... What, what what do you think are the reasons that, you know, if in 12 months' time we say, look, that was an issue, that was an issue that perhaps wasn't foreseen, are there elements, you know, obviously young players uh, are always going to be, you know, tr- tricky to read, but is it, could you say something is like, well, look, Devin Witherspoon, it's quite likely he gives up lots of penalties uh, as he was doing in college and that, and that, you know, that was a growing pain he was going, going through. Are there individual growing pain issues that you see that you might see as the reason for why 12 wins became nine wins, you know, on a rookie standpoint. 
I think, well, from the rookie standpoint, I'm not. I'm, look, Devin Witherspoon's going to give up some plays this year. It's just the way it is. I suspect that with his playing style and mentality and, and the talent that he has, that he will also make a, his fair share of plays. I Look, for me, I think the things that could let the Seahawks down, the, the things that sort of will, will be in my mind, so as we go into week one, what is going to determine the success and failure of this season? It, as I mentioned, it's going to be the running game and, you know, can Cam Young emerge as a nose tackle? It, by the sounds of things, Jan Reed's got, you know, first dibs of that job. So it, that's the way it is. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned by that. And the other thing is Geno Smith, because you know, every time you mention Geno Smith, and you, you don't just sort of showering him with praise, it becomes a bit of an issue for people. But he's still Geno Smith, and we saw unbelievable first half of the season last year, and we saw a, a so-so second half of the season where he had a lot of turnover-worthy plays and. He didn't get the job done in certain areas, and he wasn't supported because the defense was crap. You know, how I don't expect Geno Smith or anybody really to cover for the way that they played the run against the Raiders, for example, in Seattle and blew that game. And Josh Jacobs ran for about a thousand yards in one game. So there's not it's not really on Geno Smith that. But he, there were other games where you thought, oh, you know, he's not played very well there, or he's not been enough of a difference maker. And the big sort of issue for the Seahawks is they have 31.2 million reasons to sort of work out whether Geno Smith is a guy this year because that's how much he is going to be owed for next season. They have got a big call to make. If Geno Smith um, matches his, tur- his touchdown total or they win nine games, it adds another $2 million on every single time. There's like another $10 million to be earned on this contract. And he could... Look, the Seahawks could win... What if the Seahawks went 9-8 and eight and he threw for the exact same number of touchdowns but added seven interceptions to his tally? He's going to cost you $35, 36000000 million to keep next year that all of a sudden becomes a, okay, we have to have a conversation about this because we might want to keep him, but not at that cost. And then you kind of have to sort of go to him and try and rearrange things or you cut him and then try and re-sign him. What's the future at quarterback? That could be then a bigger question than it probably is right now. The fact is, is that he is still a question mark. He's not Justin Herbert. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen in that you've invested in him and he's going to be the answer for good or for bad over the next five, six, seven years there's still a question mark there. So that is the other thing that I'll be keeping an eye on. And he has everything made for him to be a success because of the weapons they've got on offense, which to a certain extent puts all the more pressure on him to be consistent and successful. And that's what he needs to be. He needs to be consistent. He doesn't need to be MVP. He just needs to avoid turnovers, avoid turnover the worthy plays, do make the plays that he's supposed to make, be the point guard. If you can do that, then they'll be in a good place. Uh, back on defense quickly, is it... What? Why did? Why do you think it took until the eve of training camp to do do things with Uchenna and Quandre when with, with something that you probably uh, everyone watching called out in mid January? Why would why would that be something that's waited that waited this long to pull the trigger? And obviously they've extended Uchenna Owosu, which has moved his money around and opened up some cat space, and they've. Um, Restructured Quandre's deal as well. Why, why, why do you think that's taken till the the alarm clock well, goes on training camp? With Unwu and Wusu, I think it's simply because I mean, look, I'm surprised that he's done deal now, and I suspect what's happened is they've kind of thought, well, from Unwusu, from the player's perspective, he can get. Uh, certain amount of guaranteed salary and can get a contract signed then if he has a, a down year if he gets hurt this season he's not going to enter the market and worry about maxing out his value he can 
turn that nine and a half sack season into a contract that's worth something that he's happy with and he can go with that. And from the Seahawks perspective, there's no risk of losing him in a year's time to free agency if he has another nine and a half sack season. And they obviously feel very comfortable about him. It feels like he's become a core player and they want to have him around. So even if he has like a five, six sack season this year, I suspect they'll probably argue, well, there's some value in having him in the locker room. So, you know, we don't care. We're, you know, we're happy to have him. So I think that that's, that's probably what it is. And, you know, in March, he coming right off the season, he's probably thinking, eh, I've got a lot of leverage here. And the Seahawks probably thinking, yeah, he has got a lot of leverage. So it's probably not worth having talks. So it gets to this point in the year and they sit down and have a chat. They had to create some cap space somehow because they didn't even have enough to pay all the rookies and have enough for like injured reserve and a practice squad. So they had to do something. It's got to this point. They've got around the table and said, let's get this done. It's been mutually beneficial. And I think that's why they've done it with Unwosu. With Quandre Diggs, I, I suspect the reason they've done this now is it might simply be because they've been trying to do something with Jamal Adams and he said no. Uh, I, I'm stunned that Jamal Adams is going into this season on the pup, starting on the pup list. Who knows when he's going to be available? They've had to sign Julian Love to come in as a potential you know, you can start while we're waiting for Jamal Adams. And he's the highest paid player on the team. He's he's due $18.1 million. He's the highest paid safety in the league. I can't believe that they haven't found a way to shave some money there and make some saving. And I think, you know, for me, and then look, I know everybody suddenly has a big hissy fit whenever we bring up Jamal Adams these days. He's like the, he's the, the man who shall not be named unless you're going to predict that he's going to have a 16 sack season. But I, I can't believe they've not gone to him and gone, look, Jamal, you ain't going to get $18 million if we cut you. And it's post-June 1st. So let's do a deal because you've been injured for the last two years. We've got no value for money. Let's let's do a deal here and get something sorted because we want you on the team. We need to do that. And if he says, nah, don't fancy it, well, well, see you later. You know, go, go and try and get a contract somewhere else. If Jamal Adams was cut today, would he play this year? Would a team sign him? In his current, with his current injury status, with his complex injury, that people are just sort of thinking, well, he's going to get back. When's he going to be back? Like this injury is a career. It's it's ended careers. It's it's a really difficult injury. Is he ever going to be the same again? Who knows? I, I mean, he. It wouldn't be a total surprise to me if he misses the first ten games of the season while he while he's trying to work his way into shape. Yeah, well, Pete, Pete Carroll said today that they're not relying on him. They not can't be sure about him or Jordan Brooks to start the season. Now, given how optimistic Pete Carroll is about everything, well, uh, Jordan well, Brooks, you understand, because he's probably seven months off uh, an ACL, so that makes perfect sense. But, you know, the Jamal one just feels like, you know, we're nearly 12 months now already. And yeah, Why is he earning $18.1 million? It just makes no sense to me because you're not going to get $18.1 million worth of value out of him. It, it They have to have gone to him and said, can we do something? And I suspect that maybe they've had that negotiation and they've, they've said, right, plan B's Quandre Dix. And then we're going to get some savings there because like I said, they have to make some savings because they had no money to to do anything. And they, and they needed money for practice squad, for injury reserve, to bring in any other players that get cut over the next few weeks that they might want to sign. So they had to do something with that. I just I find it staggering that a player who m- may have a limited role at best this season is still earning eighteen point one million dollars. They haven't either just lowered that or just moved on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've, also, they've also put themselves on the hook now for Quandre Diggs if he doesn't have the season, you know, a great season. He's going to cost ten million dollars to cut next year when I believe it would have been basically nothing otherwise, and. 
you know, he's obviously a big personality and he's, you know, very big on social media and he's taken on the moniker of, you know, he's tried to steal Stuart and my insider tag, which um, we're not going to let go of that fight, let me tell you. Um, but, you know, I don't think he necessarily was a player that you're, is nailed on to start next season. And it looks like he's now on the hook for like a $10 million fee if he's cut, which, you know, is not an insignificant amount of money. He's locked in now. He's, he's locked into the team for next year. He was a lever that they could have pulled if they needed cap space and no more. And, you know, their levers now will be Jamal Adams and Geno Smith. But they have no... Um, the, the reality is they're already up against the cap for next year. They had $23 million in cap space before the Nwusu contract. So add his salary, whatever his cap hit is going to be in 2024 to that, remove that. They've, they've barely got any cap space. So if they do end up keeping Geno Smith, they don't make any saving there. The only option is Jamal Adams. They're not going to have a lot of money to spend next year. They are up against the cap. And and again, this is another reason why I would have thought, you know, moving on from Jamal Adams, because they've got a safety. I, I've always said for, for a few months now, and look, people have just said, well, you never liked the Jamal Adams trade, so you would say this. No, I, I hope Jamal Adams comes back and has an amazing, I hope he's comeback player of the year. I'm a Seahawks fan. I don't care. I want whoever plays in that blue jersey, I want them to succeed. I just don't anticipate Jamal Adams doing that. But I would have much rather have kept Ryan Neal and um, Al Woods and just, which, funnily enough, their exact salaries would have been in the in the saving that you would have had if you'd have put Jamal Adams as a post-June first cut. And then he's off the books. You know, you get out of that pretty quickly. You've got money to spend down the line. Now, when they cut him next year as a post-June first, you just kick the can down the road. You're going to be paying him longer to do nothing for you because I, I just don't personally see a situation where he comes back and justifies $23 million next year, which is what he's going to be on the hook for. So I, I just feel like this... I don't think the Seahawks have been a particularly well-managed team in terms of the cap for some time now. And it just feels like this is a bit of a continuation of it. But I, I don't really understand the Jamal Adams situation. I, it feels to me like, unlike with previous trades, Percy Harvin, for example, that um, they've been willing to just rip the Band-Aid off when it hasn't worked. Uh, and they haven't sort of prolonged the agony. Whereas with this one, for whatever reason... Maybe it's because they spent two firsts. I don't know. They just seem to be hanging on, hanging on, hoping that they're going to get some value out of this. But it, it feels like a bit of a dead duck to me. Yeah, and even the Jimmy Graham one, they just let him cycle what? off into the sunset. Um, yeah. Uh, also, on Quandre, he's just maybe just was distracted by arguing about where he is on off-season ranks and like position rankings and stuff. He's just, they just, they like these Kanye, but oh yeah, let me, I'm going to let you finish, but first the Taylor Swift. Um, Yeah, it's just, yeah, a lot. Anything else, Adam, on the off-season stuff? Uh, Not off-season necessarily, but just looking forward to the season uh, and what's to come and, you know, players that are being slated for to have big years. And I wonder what we're expecting of, Tyler Lockett this year on the back of a season where he basically didn't take a hit for 17 games <laughs> because he caught the ball and fell on the floor as quickly as he could. Um, now, what I would say is that is the exact tactic that I would employ if I was put on an NFL 
uh, field. I'm not sure I would have caught the ball in the first place, but if I ever did catch it, there's no chance I'd be looking to run further in a straight line uh, and increase my chance of getting knocked into next Tuesday. Um, But I wonder if that is a realistic way for someone to play for a second season in a row and sort of how realistic that is. And, And... I don't want to say how tolerated it will be from coaches and teammates because I'm sure that they think he's got enough credit in the bank. But we do know that when you knock someone out or you know, not knock someone out, but when you give a big hit on a player, like it does juice up the sidelines. And I imagine it's a little bit deflating at times when there's a, you know, yards to be had and the guy just falls over to protect himself, <laughs> r- rightly so. Robert, do you reckon there's anything, any movement on Tyler? I know Stuart's always maybe fancied that this may be his last season from a retirement. I've, I've thought always that for thought, three years, to be honest. Yeah, he's, just he's going, back. going to retire. But quite a strange situation that we're in with, with Tyler because it, it very much appears that he's got one eye on the future and not that I blame him for that in the slightest. Well, it's interesting. I've not really thought about him retiring this year, but then... Um... And I was already for disagreeing with that. And then you were sort of saying he's like got one eye on the future. And he, he obviously has got this, he's quite active, isn't he, in pushing his, uh, is, it, like, is he a... Real estate. Real estate, that's it, yeah. So he's he's doing all that. So I, I don't know. I think I've always felt that he was somebody who might play on for a while, actually. And I think that this is part of the reason why he's going down. I think he quite fancies that. Um and while ever the Seahawks keep chucking huge contracts his way, which is <laughs> kind of consistently done, I, I do think he will he will carry on. I, I to me he doesn't get the I always got the sense that Doug Baldwin was he was always angry with the world, wasn't he? And he always kind of looked a bit annoyed that he had to play football. And with Tyler Lockett, I've never quite got that sense. I, I think he enjoys it more. And I think he is just protecting his body almost so that he can preserve his career as long as possible and I don't think it will ever be an issue with teammates that he goes down early I think there are certain players can get away with certain things like Marshawn Lynch could you know not practice or or basically arse about on the practice field he could you know stick a middle finger up at the head coach and everyone kind of just goes no it's Marshawn isn't it (laughs) and then with Tyler Lockett is it's kind of like he's got enough money in the bank whereby you know the rookie with if Jackson Smith and Jigba starts doing that I think someone might go hey what are you doing but with Tyler Lockett, it's it, you know I think they're quite sort of he, he's he's just so he seems to be so respected, and and the thing is is that I also find it hard personally to have any issue with it when he often falls over after making a really difficult fifteen yard completion which gets a first down. Like if he was with a running back running out of bounds, because uh, I can remember uh, funny enough, Doug Bowen again was shouting at Chris Carson when he was a rookie for going out of bounds quite early. But like he would go out of bounds and there'd be a missed opportunity there to get a first down or something like that. You know, if Tyler Lockett was running from the backfield like a running back and was avoiding contact, you'd be like, hang on a minute, that's your job. You know, run through that guy and, and get the first down. But when he's already got the first down and the chains are moved and you're in a good position there, and if you're going to take a hit anyway, you know, I kind of think, well, it's probably quite sensible, really, from his point of view. And he has had some bad injuries in his career. So I've not got a problem with it. I hope that other players are not inspired to do it as well. I'm quite happy for this to be a Tyler Lockett thing. Oh. rather than, I certainly don't want the running backs to be doing that. But, I, you know, the Seahawks have a style. You know, they want running backs who are going to run through a through your face, you know, without using the other bit of that. So, um, and that's what they've got with the two guys who are going to lead the way. So I'm, I'm not that concerned about it. And... I I will I will actually stick with my original prediction. I do think Tyler Lockett will play on beyond this year and and, and possibly for a few years yet. Yeah, also also with Tyler 
maybe a bit different to a few of those other guys, or well, maybe not Dog. His demeanor hasn't changed from the moment he first come to Seattle, has it? Like even with with it with the injuries, with his change of with the real estate stuff. Now he's just got married as well. With his with his outlook on life hasn't changed. His demeanor hasn't changed. It's kind of, I guess, kind of fits into both your view he's going to play on and my view that he can just walk off at the sunset at any time. Well, isn't you know real estate just? I mean, they're not being funny. Maybe it's really exciting, but it, to me, it just it does. It's hard to to think it's going to get you up in the morning. I don't know. Like it, to me, it doesn't seem that exciting. It seems like a nice side hustle rather than <laughs> something you want to you want to do every day all day. So, um, so yeah, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stick stick by the, yeah. the idea that he'll play on. I mean, it's, it's better than following Steven Gerrard to Saudi Arabia, isn't it? And giving up. Well, well, especially after you've, you know, you know when, when yeah. we, we can, I'm sure we can get, we can put him in the bin <laughs> later. I was actually going to say that because you know, as someone who has gone on as much as he has about, you know, this, that, and the yeah. other, to, to then sort of just go, well, actually, I'm now going to go off there and take 700 grand a week. You know, is very disappointing. I always kind of had a bit of a soft spot for him because he always enjoyed playing for England, Jordan Henderson, but. Um, wait, I mean, he said that the England France game at the World Cup was the biggest game of his career, and this is a man who's played, you know, captain Champions League finals. So I, I respected him for that. Uh, but this is a, yeah, this is a disappointing moment, you know, when you, you know, when when is two, when is enough money? What is enough money for a one man? When they say generational wealth, you know, well, yeah. he's kind of already got that, hasn't he? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's a tangent, uh, Adam. What is enough money? Well, enough about Jamal Adams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please <laughs> come on. Uh, um, we talk about the running backs, and I think that is a position that everyone is very excited for because you know that that as a one-two punch is something that we've not really had. Uh, ooh, well, for, for for long enough that that you can't really name when it, when yeah 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 more than like a month maybe as long as we've had one yeah. But you've got, you know, obviously we we know what Kenneth Walker can do. We've seen it. Uh, and, you know, we're hoping that Zach Charbonnet is going to, you know, do the stuff that Kenneth Walker maybe doesn't want to do through the tackles, pick up the three, four yards at a time as, and and maybe not be the home run hitter. But, Rob, you, you said that you watched him at UCLA and, and I heard Chip Kelly talking very, very effusively about him um, at Pac-12 Media Day last week. What, what, and this is a reductive question, but what's going to make him sort of not sort of a Kristen Michael style, you know, early mid round running back? Like, is, is there stuff that, you know, there are intangibles there that you can clearly see there's something in this guy that, you know, looks ready made to be a pro? Kristen Michael was falling asleep during meetings. I mean, that was the kind of guy he was. He had all of the physical qualities, but the brain did not match the physical qualities, unfortunately, with Kristen Michael. I think Zach Charbonnet, I mean, look, I've never spoken to the bloke and and I can only go off what I've kind of listened to in interviews and what other people have said, like yourself, with Chip Kelly. But he comes across as a really dedicated pro. He, You watch him on the field, finishes every run, ideal size, great combination of explosive traits and speed. I've always found that his blocking to be good, pass catching to be good. You know, there's, he's one of those players who wasn't really getting enough hype the year before last when he was uh, at UCLA. And then it was just one or two other people, you know, I was talking about him and saying, oh, you know, he's really good, isn't he? And we were we kind of like, there was a little group of us who were kind of talking him up a little bit. <laughs> and he didn't declare. And you hmm, that's really surprising that, you know, did the league not not rate him? You know, why would a running back go back when and I thought he was a second round pick the year before? So obviously he wasn't hearing that. So he goes back to UCLA. 
has another really productive year. And look, you see it. Like, he can break off those huge home run hitting runs like Kenneth Walker. He's a different player to Kenneth Walker, but he can still do that. But he also just runs through tackles, gets the hard yards. He can lead an offense. He's just a terrific player. And I think, the you know, the, in the past... We've had a couple of running backs, you know, Richard Penny and Chris Carson, for example. And you say, yeah, it looks good. But, you know, there's every chance by the end of September that neither will be healthy. And then there was sort of opportunities like when Ken Walker came in, Richard Penny, you still think, yeah, that looks really good. But can Penny stay healthy? And then lo and behold, he got injured again. With these two, you know, you look at them and you think, I've seen enough in college to believe that they can stay healthy. Obviously, even if one of them does get injured, you know, it'd be awfully bad luck for them both to get hurt. But even then, they've drafted a Georgia running back in the seventh round, and you think, well, you know, he could pick up some of the slack as well. So I I really like the depth they've got running back. I think that... Look, I'm glad that we've kind of moved on a little bit from running backs that don't matter. That load of nonsense like a few years ago now they're having a big debate about the uh, financial side of running back position at the minute, which I think is, is a, is, is a bit like, uh, you know, a bunch of turkeys getting together with the idea of cancelling Christmas. I don't, I don't think it's ever going to happen, but um, I like where the Seahawks are with running backs and you do need a good running back. And I think for Zach Charbonnet, I won't be surprised if in two or three years time, depending on Ken Walker's health and, and ability, if he's not seen as one of the better running backs in the league. And I think he was absolutely justified to be taken in the second round. Yeah. Is there anything with the Chip Kelly, how, what he asked the running back to do at UCLA? Because obviously, I don't have no idea what they were like last year, but they haven't been a great team for a couple of years of Chip Kelly. But is there anything that Chip would ask his running back to do that Waldron and Pete are going to be asking to do off the bat? Well, they've actually been pretty good for the last couple of years, UCLA. You know, they, they had uh, Durian, um, Thompson, Robinson, you know, and, and, and you know, they had a Jake Bobo was in Seattle as the receiver and and they had Zach Charbonnet. And offensively, they were very entertaining to watch. And they would, even when they lost game, you know, they beat Washington in a high-scoring game and they gave Oregon a game. Um, and I think if that game was at UCLA, it would have been a different. I, th- I thought they were really good last year. And... He was like a, just a complete running back. You know, the Chip Gelly spread system has some elements of, um, you know, the, the classic college football spread it out, widen the field, you know, the hash marks make it really easy for teams to do that in college football. But then the league has gone the way of a lot of what Chip Kelly was doing. I think Bill Belichick has talked about this, that sort of Chip Kelly has influenced him and influenced a lot of the NFL. So when you actually watch... UCLA, you do kind of feel like you're watching a a modern pro-style offense for the most part, which Zach Charbonnet fit into. And he did everything. You know, he passed blocks, he caught the ball, he ran the ball. Um, I think he is quite ready to play in the NFL. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing him. He's a really good player. I I think people reacting to that pick and the Ken Walker pick because it's running back need to have a, a day off. I think these are these are you've they've drafted two quality players here. And um and this is what I think you should do. This is for me, this is where you get your value in running back. Second round. Players who would have been first round picks 10, 15 years ago are now second round picks. Go and get them. You don't have to necessarily sign them to a second contract to big money. But then go and get another one. 
you know, in four or five years' time. That's that's what teams should be doing, in my opinion. You can actually make a kill. Look at Derek Henry. He was a second round pick. Alvin Kamara, third round pick. These are where you find the value for these guys. Uh, Adam? In terms of you know, players that are not necessarily jumping out that we, we've been discussing, are there any others that you're thinking on the roster that may take a jump? You know, I know Stu's a big Noah Fant guy. Always loved a bit of Noah Fant. Um, mm. I'm trying to think. I mean... Derek Young's the other one, isn't it, on offence. He kind of started circling the active roster on game days in back into last year. It's Derek yeah, Young, but Noah Fant, I guess. As the fourth wide receiver, but is there anyone else that you're thinking that you know, you're expecting you know big things from this year? Because I'm thinking maybe someone like Damian Lewis is going into a contract year, and it's probably time where he really needs to show what he is or isn't about. Or you know, maybe Abe Lucas makes a big jump from a, a very impressive rookie year. I think I think this might be harsh, but I feel like they know what they've got in Charles Cross, and that's probably a sort of ten to fifteen in the league left tackle, and that's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm I'm not sure what I saw from him last year, if he's ever going to be the guy that's that's elite tackle, but I don't think you need it. I, I think if he, if he offers what he does uh, and what he did for, for five, ten years, I think we'll, we'll be thrilled with that. But is there anyone that you, you're thinking that maybe isn't getting the, the discussion that, that they should do uh, for, for the season they may have? Yeah, Damien Lewis was the guy that sprung to mind when you were talking, um, when you were initially coming into the question, because... He, he he had that difficult transition from the right side to the left side. And last year was the first year when he looked like he'd really settled into that position. Now, this is a player that I thought when he watched him at LSU, I was like, wow, you know, this is a guy who could be a, an eight to 10 year starter in the NFL at a really, really good level. And then it, when he's had his rookie year in Seattle, it looked as if that's exactly what he was going to be. And then they switched him to the left and it just seemed to stall his progress. But it seems as if he's got used to it now. I think that he could potentially be a really good guard. And like you say, it's a contract year. I'd love the idea of the Seahawks to sort of tie down somebody like that. You know, you can feel really confident about who can perhaps get, you know, that 75 to 80 grade in PFF. That's why I would really hope for him in a contract year to sort of justify keeping him. What I would say though, is I think Anthony Bradford, who they drafted from LSU as well, has got the potential to, if they wanted to just sort of transition to him, they could do that as well. Um, but I think Damian Lewis is is the one, you know, with Noah Fan, I think that he's starting on the pop list, which is a little bit concerning. You know, is there going to be any, is he going to be out for any length of time? And I, I find it quite hard. So, you know, some of the younger players who who get talked up a little bit, you don't, you need to sort of see a bit from them. For a question like this, I'd probably rather go with somebody we've seen a lot of and then go, okay, they could make a step up here. And that's why I think Damian Lewis is the one to me, really stands out. And I think you're probably right on Charles Cross. I, you know, people are sort of saying, well, Charles Cross had a great rookie year. He didn't really have a great rookie year, you know, and his grading was not not amazing. He just wasn't a liability. I'd quite like to see a big step up from him. I would like to see more. I think that he does need to show a bit more. He was a top 10 pick after all. And I'd quite like to see, yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from, Adam, and sort of, you just want him to be reasonably good. It doesn't have to be, Andrew Thomas, who's just signed a massive contract with the Giants. Um, but the difference in pick selection was in like four or five picks. So I'd quite like to see Charles Cross close that gap a little bit. I'd like to see him be a 75, 70, 75 PFF guy rather than like a 62, 63. So I want to see a big uh, improvement from him. 
Uh, I think when you spend a top 10 pick, you want someone who's going to be above average. So I'd, I'd quite like to see above average from him. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a very, like if, if he does, if he stays like that, it's a very like Russell Coon kind of thing, isn't it? Because like, he was kind of just solid without really threatening Pro Bowl and all Pro votes in the season, but like, he was pretty solid no matter where he went. Yeah, the thing about Coon is he had everything that you look for in a, a franchise left tackle, like a 36-inch arms, uh, very explosive, great ideal size. And I think the injury situation maybe, or just, just never really sort of excelled and reached that potential. I wasn't actually a big fan of Russell Okung at Oklahoma State. I I thought he was more like middle of the first round, which funnily enough, I wasn't that high on Charles Cross either. That's where I thought he was. I thought Trent Williams, and well, it's easy to say in hindsight, I thought Trent Williams was the tackle to have in 2010, and it and so it has proved. That's that's not me pat myself on the back. I'm, you know, it's all if, if you go onto the old blog, the 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 blogspot version of my blog, it's all on there. So I'm I've I've got the the receipts, the receipts <laughs> to put to put that with Charles Cross. He's not that prototype left tackle. He's his testing was kind of yeah. He's not got long arms. He's got not got short arms, but he's not got really long arms. Strength was a big issue at Mississippi State. Somebody showed a picture of him at minicamp and he looked bigger. And I hope that's what's happened. I hope he's bulked up and he's got physically more impressive this year. That's my concern with him. His footwork's fine, but I want to see a bit more power, a bit more nastiness, and I want to just see him lock on at times. That was always the issue at Mississippi State that Good pass rushes could get into his frame, disengage and round him. And I think if you're going to be an above-average left tackle, you just never want to hear the name mentioned. As Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas at Georgia just looked like a natural. It's hard to get around. He just locks down one side. No one really talks about him. He's not a flashy player, but he's a really, really good player. I want Charles Cross to take steps forward to becoming that for Seattle because he is a top-10 pick. And I, I thought he had a a very mixed rookie season. I thought Abraham Lucas was better. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, we've talked about all the question marks, what the team could face next off-season. Then, after all those questions are answered, maybe uh, the draft will come back around. Obviously, it's way early. The college season starts in five weeks? Five yeah, weeks? well, it, it's, it'll be... Uh, there's always tends to be that game in Ireland to kick things off, doesn't there? Yeah. And then... There's, uh, and then so it starts probably, I, I suspect, you know, very early September. Yeah. Um, but can't wait, you know, bring it on. Uh, it, college football is kind of eating itself for the moment with this, mm-hmm. uh, the money that's sloshing around. But um, look, it's, it's the it's perfect for the draft, isn't it? You yeah. Know, you don't follow your college team and you just like watching players. It's, it doesn't really make <laughs> any difference who they're playing for. No. Uh, so one of those questions we talked about is the Gino thing. Uh, that's probably going to be the headline thing going into next year's draft. Drake, Drake May, and obviously Caleb over at USC is probably going to be way gone and looking probably bringing Tyler Lockett up to look for real estates in in Arizona by the time the Seahawks pick, hopefully in round one. Um, it, is it Spencer Rattler after those two, or have you got it in a different order for? Well, you know, I think it's, it's, it's as is typical, Stu, for people who pontificate about the draft they'd already anointed that next year's class was way better than this year's class um and they'll probably do the same in 12 months time now this is just the it, it's it happens every single year we had 
three quarterbacks drafted in the top five, including someone who is as, as naturally gifted as you will ever see go first overall. CJ Stroud has got the prettiest touch passes you will ever see. And you've got Anthony Richardson, who's an absolute physical phenomena. You know, and, and people are going, ah, yeah, but next year's better. And it's like, well, go on then. You know, because there's there's the guy at the top of the draft is is special. The USC quarterback is special. Yeah. He does crazy things. Now, whether those crazy things will come off in the NFL, because he's not an orthodox player, you know, he scrambles away from sacks that I you you have to see them, they have to be seen to be believed. <laughs> I've never seen escapability like this. He makes rookie Russell Wilson look like a sloth. Like he's unbelievable, his escapability. And it might just be that when he's facing Nick Bosa every week or somebody who owned the NFC West, they just get sacked. So so I don't know. But incredible talent, exciting, will be the number one overall pick. They might as well just put that in pen now. But then Drake May, I, I don't understand why he's, he's he's okay. You know, there's some potential there. He needs to take a massive step forward this year, in my opinion, in order to be a top 10 pick. There's a lot of like head-scratching plays. There are some good physical plays. Uh, there's also a lot of WTF plays. There's also a lot of accuracy issues. Don't really understand that. Um, Penix Jr., great arm, but he's throwing motions, very unorthodox. He kind of like falls away as he's throwing. And he plays in the ultra spread at Washington. So, you know, when he's tighter windows and you're falling away as you throw, is that going to be an issue? He had some pretty iffy turnovers for Washington but he's got an arm for the ages. So team's going to love that. But is he a first-round pick? It's hard to make that case purely off the back of an arm. And he's got a little bit of an injury history. Spencer Rattler's, I mean, like he was basically a douche for three years. Mm -hmm. And then he was crap for half a season, probably like three-quarters of a season last year, having transferred to South Carolina. And then all of a sudden had one of the best games I've ever seen. <laughs> um, against Tennessee, and you're like, who's this guy? Where's this guy been? And that was unbelievable. That's amazing. That's first overall draft pick quality play against Tennessee. And then he followed it up. He had a couple of turnovers against Clemson, but then he went and beat Clemson in Clemson, and had another great, I thought, a great performance. Like, look, someone plays brilliantly, and they have two tur- crap turnovers. Like you can live with it as long as they win the game for the team. And he did. He won the game for South Carolina. So you go into the off season thinking, it's got his momentum. He looks class. And he, he's suddenly like intrigued again. Like, you know, he's got the arm, he's got the improv, he's got a gorgeous arm. But it's hard to shake the fact that he was a douche. Mm. Like, you just think, do you really want this guy to be the franchise? Like, who is he really? Is he matured? What's he going to be like when he's got paid? You know, can he, be, can he play for 16 games? 16 games, like, whatever, 12, 13, 14 games like he did the last two? Or was that just two games where he played really well at the end of last year? Mm. They're going to question mark. So then, you know, it's hard to promote him as a first-round pick. And then you kind of just run through the list. There's just a lot of names that are going to be third, <laughs> fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh-round picks. Like, at best, you know, third-round picks. You know, you just... I don't... Like, Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers, come back, Quinn Ewers at Texas. It's bloody awful for, like, 70% of his time last season. And he got injured. But then he he's just got this incredible throwing motion, this release whoosh, whips out of his hands. And you think, God, there's something there. But there's also so much bad stuff on tape last year 
that you think again he needs to show some degree of consistent degree of consistency because right now you'd be hard pushed to take him in the middle rounds based purely on a on a release but if he can sort it out and lead Texas properly then he could go anywhere but that that's this class you know there's no Stroud and Young type that everyone was raving about a year ago there's just the one guy from USC so I don't see this as the ultimate quarterback class like a lot of people will have you believe I think that a bit of perspective is is needed here I uh, think it was Caleb who saw Rattler leave Oklahoma wasn't it is that yeah. how it happened so basically I mean well let's be right here Spencer Rattler yeah 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 yeah. That, but like, the reason that Spencer Rattler yeah, left yeah. Oklahoma because he was it was basically just Three five step drop, lob it downfield, <laughs> and don't even look where you're throwing it. So I, I think if you, one of us three had been on the bench, we probably would have got a chance. But um, but yes, Keller Williams was the much vaunted uh, recruit, and he came in as a f- true freshman and did very well. And that was the end of that. And then when Lincoln Riley went to USC, as is the way these days. The quarterback went with him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like Caleb's insane, but it's this. Well, what I will it's, say is, it's it's the Mahomes thing, isn't it? But Mahomes went. There's no. There's not many Andy. There's no Andy Reid isn't in Arizona, is he? Not waiting for him. Kind no. of thing. The the thing is, is I, I do think it's a conversation kind of for Seahawks fans to to reflect on a little bit here, because the, the Seahawks are in a kind of we don't know where we are at quarterback type situation because even if you know. We all hope Geno Smith is, has a great year. But even if Geno Smith has a decent year, not a great year, or whatever, he's still in a mid mid thirties, coming to his mid-30s. You know, how what is his ceiling? Is he a championship caliber quarterback? You know, we all hope he is, but we don't know that he is. And anybody's trying to suggest that they know, come on. We don't know. We don't know. We've seen one year. And, you know, what do you do moving forward? Because they do need to kind of have some plan at the position we we forget that before Russell Wilson came along there was kind of like an oh crap what are the Seahawks going to do at quarterback vibe thing here it was kind of going season to season like oh we'll give Tavares Jackson a go okay now we'll give Matt Flynn a go okay we're going to draft the rookie quarterback so, oh the rookie quarterback's going to be the best quarterback the franchise ever had so great but it, you know now what you know if Gina Smith doesn't work out is it well Drew Lock gets a go or, you know, are they going to sign Kirk Cousins in the offseason? Or are they just going to draft somebody and hope for the best? You know, is it a case of you you just draft somebody in the middle rounds next year and hope that they can develop them? You know, the fact that they haven't drafted anybody at quarterback other than Magoo and Wilson in 13, 14 drafts is staggering, really, isn't it? You know, especially for Judge Stoddard's background in Green Bay, they're not even taking buying lottery tickets on these guys in the fourth, fifth round to see if one of these guys can be the answer. So it's going to be fascinating because, like I say, because as much as we all hope that Gino is an answer of sorts, at least for the next few years, his age, his history, the lack of a, a top five pick now, because that was the other thing, the Seahawks had top 10, now a top five pick in this last draft, and I haven't come out of either of these drafts with a quarterback of the future. So it's it's an interesting dynamic that we shouldn't just assume is as addressed just because Geno Smith is now under contract. It isn't. And and he I think I think they've set the contracts up beautifully for him because he's got a point to prove. But 
from a fan perspective and from a draft uh, uh, draft geek perspective, I can't help but kind of look at the quarterback classes coming up and thinking, eh, yeah, this, this could be this could be tricky. Yeah, no, the, the, they, they, I think that's why one reason I really wanted to get the uh, try and find a way to get an extra to get the extra twenty twenty four first round pick. I know they got the extra pick uh, third, fourth round in the mid rounds, but they're getting that one and moving on up for someone of Gino uh, flops for lack of a better word in this season would, would have been. But yeah, there's a long way to go. There's a lot, a lot of water to go under the bridge. Uh, spinning a bit, Adam. Let's do uh, it. Do you want to start? Um, no, go on. You you can start. I'm sure you've got, got a belt no, to no, no, no. I was going to see where you want, what path you led us down, and we'll go from there. Uh, where am I going to go? I mean, obviously, this interminable bore of NFL players moaning online about their Madden ratings or whether they're in the top 100. I mean, no one gives a fuck. Let's make that absolutely (laughs) clear. Uh, It is the most boring annual discussion. uh, And, you know, is Sauce Gardner better than Tariq Woolen? I honestly, I mean, there is nothing, nothing in the world I could be less invested in. But perhaps it's, it's a cultural thing because... The uh, the American fans just seem to lap it up. They absolutely love it, and they're all in the quote tweets, and uh, they're adding gasoline to to the fire. And I really wish they wouldn't, because no one cares about Quandre Diggs's Madden rating at all. <laughs> like Quandre probably doesn't. Well, he'll he'll say he will do in order to uh, get a bit more, more publicity. Friend on Twitter. Um, but yeah, no one. No one cares. And You're I, right, though. We don't do anything like this over here. We don't, we don't ever have like the 100 best Premier League players. Well, yeah, we, do, we, we don't have an all-star game, do we? I think that's kind of... Don't really do... Yeah, I don't think like players that. talk about their FIFA ratings or anything, do they? I mean, you see yeah. the odd, like the odd little video. bit, but it, yeah. but the, the Madden stuff, it feels like a... You know, when the Madden ratings come out, it feels like a national holiday and just the worst <laughs> national holiday ever. <laughs> no, no, to be fair, May Bank Holiday was pretty bad this year. Um, that is true. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, no, it's just it's so tiring. Like it's just like like I said, it's just words in mid July or late June, early July. It's just yeah, this this the twenty the league trying to be twenty four seven three six five is just it's just going to lead us down this path, isn't it? And yeah, like they, they this. All you need to do surely is just look at your bank balance. You're clearly quite well valued because of the amount of money you're, you're being paid by the teams. More than one team in Quanjo Diggs is. And a lot of people and knows this. It's just, yeah. Just, it's I, true that about 365, actually, because, you know, our football, the season is so long that you can plug the gaps in quite easily and always have something to look forward to. Yeah. When your off-season is nearly seven months long, <laughs> You've just got to allow the news cycle to tick over to something else for, for a little bit because they just exhaust. I mean, I actually, I know. Uh, I, yeah, I've just got another one, actually. When uh, when Condra Diggs announced his own uh, his own extension or whatever, you know, said announced by me, Ian Rappaport quote tweeted and saying, bro, we talked about this. As if, like, I'm supposed to be the one that breaks the news. And even as a joke, it just made me think, 
Do you not realize how utterly useless you are? Rapidly? He is he's, he's a very awkward individual, though, isn't he? he just, oh, my he's, gosh. He just he's, oozes he's, awkwardness in everything that he does. He's, 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 the little, I don't watch it every, every time he's on, but he's, he's really actually like legitimately good when he's on with McAfee. I don't know if that's just McAfee like dragging it out of him, but he's actually like, I can't think of the word at midnight, but, and then you just, oh, that give me chills. It was, it was so bad. There are a lot of journalists like this that, that are just, they are really uncomfortable. In they, Oh, they come across really uncomfortable. Right? And Ian Rappard is, is one of those. He's been on the TV for so long and yet still looks like he's absolutely cacking himself every time he's on there. But you're right. In, when he speaks to uh, Pat McAfee, he just, he's almost like a different person, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Like, but, like the chef, though, he's been doing it for, I'm pretty certain he was doing it when I started watching. And he was doing the gritty, whoever it was, on Monday Night Football Countdown with. Shefter, yeah, Shefter last year. Every, everyone who got fired, apart from him, by ESPN was on that field doing the gritty, including Shefter. He was topless at one point with the Kurt. He was just uh, going to say he was medallion, topless, wasn't, wasn't he? he? Yeah, there's a man yeah. who's far too comfortable in his own job. <laughs> I run my own business, and I'm not that comfortable <laughs> in my own position. Why, why do they think we want this though? Like, you, yeah. I'm quite happy with Adam Shefter to just break stories with his agent contacts. I, I don't need to see his tits. Yeah. It's, but it's, like, it's like September 2nd and 3rd. We won't see Carve Solicol on TV for three months. It's going to be absolutely <laughs> bliss. It's like, like, I can't wait. Or Fabrizio Romano can... There you go. There's my Ben. Fabrizio yeah. Romano. Uh, Quite right. A football, yeah. club, a football club can ask what they think of a value of a player. We got 19 and a half million foot player. For a player we had for two years... Don't go, oh, then he tweeted, oh, yeah, Victor Acre is going to support him was a whatever, but Fabrizio Romano just quite, just outing himself as with one of his agent's sources when he's tweeting the picture of Yacrez and his agent on the plane. The, the, problem, the problem with him, though, is that he's become almost too much of a, a, a celebrity now it, and the agents are going to him and they want yeah. to go to him and it and it creates this... I do worry a little bit that there's a bit too much news coming out now. It's all a big game. Yeah. And uh, there's, one of the local clubs, we've, we've seen this over the last couple of weeks here. I, I just don't think, I, I, I don't want to say anything else, but I, I just don't think it's great. It, it, to be fair, it was my first uh, exposure to the man and I didn't enjoy it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, it's... Just awful. Like when, when, especially for when you're a fan of a club who aren't used to being in that like fifteen million plus like financial pool. It was yeah, just some of the stuff he was. It's like no, fuck off. He's our fucking player, he, and he's going to do it again when what's his name? Shad Khan comes in for a little Brazilian midfield in, in about six days. But yeah, it's just going to be all annoying all over again. But here we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's such a crap catchphrase, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. try it when it's your all-time best player <laughs> is being poured out to every I mean, disgusting German I mean, going. There's a there's a Robin Williams bit um, years ago where he, he said he went on German TV and they said why why does he not why does he think there's not much humour in Germany and his reply was do you not think you killed all the funny people. And, <laughs> and like that kind of maybe that's why the Bayern Munich media team kind of think that uh yeah 
turn up with a press conference with a play. Wow, like, that was that was the. I mean, come on, that's the wildest. Like that's tap. Like that's not even tapping up. That's just no. That's that's just so immature. It's the stu. I I can't believe if I was one. If I was in that press conference, I would have had to have just grabbed that shirt and volleyed it out of the room and yeah. and just said no. Uh, this is not happening. <laughs> no, it's supposed to be a place of work. <laughs> Are you are you here for, are you here to piss about? What you know? Come on, I yeah. mean that somebody somebody that newspaper whoever made that choice somebody somebody needs to get into some serious bother for that. That was just yeah. so stupid, embarrassing, embarrassing for Bayern by the way as well. They're supposed to be a top football club, you know, in world football to have to have a journalist who covers the team doing that pulling off a stunt like that. It was God, it was embarrassing that. Yeah, I'm also going to put uh, Seattle's version of Jake Humphrey in the bin, but I'm going to keep the name of that Seattle. Oh, I'm desperate to know who that is. By the way, there's only there's only one, only one Jake he's, Humphrey. He's he's, uh, he's quite loud, talks a lot of shit, and then has uh, sits next to someone who thought Hitler. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Seattle. Well, I think Jake I've, I think I've worked. Yeah, out, yeah, yeah, worked yeah, out yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we need to. Uh, choose choose better who people we try and get on this podcast. I, can I, I, I've just got three quick ones. If that's okay, go on, yeah, sure. go for so, it. So Jordan Henderson is one. Obviously, yeah. I've done that. Um, Amazon because I saw the Newcastle thing advertised and I nearly died of cringe earlier <laughs> yes. because the the Amazon thing where they were going our, our only aim is to be first and stuff like that. I'm thinking I'll oh, bore off and the you know the Amanda Staveley's all over it. It's great publicity for them and I'll the, oh, just go away. I just can't be dealing with this. No, I am not. There is no way I've not got an Amazon Prime account and I will not be getting one to watch that rubbish. Absolutely just gutter nonsense. Like trying to make that like a romantic football story. Come on. <laughs> I mean, give it a rest. Like, listen, with the respect, like if they did a thing on on Coventry going yeah. up from League Two to the yeah. brink of the Prem, you know, I'd probably watch that. This, you know, re- oh, come on. This is just ridiculous, this. So that was two. Uh, The third one, I would say, is I don't know how this has happened. This has been a bugbear for a while of mine. That people start these accounts on Twitter. And all they do is they're just on their phones all the time or their computers or whatever, and they just share the news that other people report. So Mm -hmm. Ari Myrov was like my sports update or something on Twitter. He now works in the media, and all he would do is with, he'd be, follow all the journalists in America, and if anything got reported, either on a local or a national level, he'd share it as his own thing, and then just put their account on the bottom. That was it. All he would do is he was a, basically a, a stealer of tweets, a stealer of news. But people just followed him rather than all the different journalists because it was a one-stop shop for all the news that was breaking. Now he's treated as like a a journalist in <laughs> in the media. And they've got this, like, is it Dov Kleiman? He's yeah, like the yeah, next yeah, Ari yeah. Myrov. People keep retweeting him all the time. All he does is share other people's news. And then the worst one, NFL Rums. This was an account that just made up stuff. He was like incarcerated <laughs> Bob. Just made stuff up for, for like two years. And then he decided, well, actually, I'll just do what Ari Myrov did and just share everybody else's news. <laughs> now he's getting retweeted and he's got like a bajillion followers. Like, what is this? Is this, is this really what we want? Is, is this journalism in 2023? <laughs> Share everybody else's news and then get a job? I mean, what um, is this? Incarcerated Bob. I haven't heard that that name in Is years. he still going? Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I, he, he was legit, yeah. He's legitimately doing it from like jail, wasn't he? Was I don't know if he thing? was actually incarcerated, but he, he was. he would just basically put something out there like, 
Aaron Rodgers has been traded to this. <laughs> and then everyone would be like, oh, incarcerated Bob's reporting this. And it was yeah. all always rubbish. He was like that. He was that Indy Carlia, was it? On Indy, Twitter? I was just about to say Indy Kayla. Yeah. What a legend. <laughs> it's like him, but, but American football yeah. version. But, but football, I think football extra do that. They like tweet out videos of like Sky Sports news segments and put football extra graphic on the video. It's like, no, it's not your video. It's. Ah, I'm Sky Sports. It's Darmesh Seths. Yeah. I just think it's really harsh, you know, that there's a lot of journalists out there, especially that was when Schefter gets. When the Nick Schefter story, everyone's following like Schefter and Rappaport and people like this. It, 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 you know, it doesn't affect them. But when it is sort of like the local journalists who, you know, once in a blue moon actually break a story and it just gets kind of regurgitated on one of these accounts that everyone follows. And and the only credit is is that they'll put their Twitter handle in the tweet. It kind of think, oh come on, you know. Is, have you ever heard of a retweet? You know, you could just do that. Things called a re-X now, Rob. <laughs> oh, is that yeah. actually a thing? Is it not called Twitter anymore? Is it? I thought it was just. A, is that not just a logo, or is it? Do we have to actually call know. it X now? I don't know. I won't be calling it X. That can go in the bin. Yeah, that yeah. no, can go in the bin. It is Twitter, isn't it? It's not. Yeah, no, no, it's, no one's be calling it X. Yeah, no. it's it's like it's it's still the Rico. It's not the CBS. It's still it's always people still call it the Premiership. It became the Premier League twenty oh, years ago. So yeah. uh... someone there's a week goes by that someone rings our phone and call it the Premiership. <laughs> <laughs> and I always get the same text from the same people going, "Can you just uh, correct that caller that it's uh, actually the, it's now the Premier League?" Uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, I think that's everything. Adam, I can't think of anyone else. Uh, how we've stretched an hour out of one yeah, day of training yeah. camp, I think we've done very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the end of the Ashes summer ends in five or six days, so then training camp starts. It's I boy, after Wembley, I did I need an Ashes summer? Good god. Um, yeah, yeah they uh, rushed through that though, didn't they? <laughs> what Ashes... it's gonna be finished this week? Yeah, I know it's outrageous. The bloody hundred. I can get it in the bin as well. Got it, yeah, get it all in there. Get Australia, <laughs> get the whole of Australia in the bin. Yeah, Just... but, then, but, then, but then we've got the Ryder Cup, which uh, Europe are definitely going to win the Ryder Cup in Rome at the end of September. Ludwig Aberg. If the world is flat, can we just push Australia off the edge? <laughs> just don't have to worry about them anymore. Sure. Is, is, really that, is that it? Are we are we likely to win the Ryder Cup this we're, year? We're not. We're not in the bookies. We're like two to one. But the, the America team is all out of form or play for live, and everyone on the European side is starting to purr, and it's in Rome, and they haven't won in Europe for like twenty five years. They, 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 I, if you want to put money on it. I think Europe are going to win the Ryder Cup. And if we know anything from this week's Open, they do yeah. not like it up them, those, no. those American golf no. players. They do not like it up because <laughs> they've been yeah. whinging about uh, fan abuse, in inverted commas, that was about as tame as you'll get in a pre-season friendly at a well, is, is anyone to get all the lads who are on the Western Terrace a couple of weeks ago <laughs> anyway, over to Rome for a weekend? Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a Rolf Harris chant doing the rounds at Edgbaston about five weeks ago. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Australians didn't like that one either. Um, but yeah, no, uh, yeah. There's going to be some names no one's ever heard of unless you watch PGA exclusive live or wherever it is on Thursday afternoons. But yeah, I, I know we're dragging this out. Can I just say that I've, I've been to? Uh, I don't know, Adam, if you've noticed this. Australian cricket fans are the single most whiniest. Ser- oh, and it's strange because every Australian bloke I've ever met and worked with has been a right laugh. But whenever you get to a <laughs> test match, they're always like, oh, well, 
England, well, he shouldn't have done that. He's not bowling that. Like they can't have any banter. They're like no. this like banter bypasses. They get off the plane. They are the embodiment of Arsenal, just in a different sport. <laughs> they want everything their own way, and as soon as something goes against them, they would do themselves. Oh no, no, no! That's a scandal. That's a scandal. They're just uh, awful people. What, what, one quick, one more thing, quickly. Are you making the trip out this year, Rob? Yes. So I am going to Seattle for the Thanksgiving game. Um, so I'm going to watch the Seahawks against the Niners. And then the following, it's worked out perfectly. The following day, I'm going to the Kraken against the Canucks because I used to live in Vancouver. So I'll be uh, not rooting for the Kraken. I mean, I'm, like, I don't care about ice hockey, so I'm not, I'm not going to um, be rooting for anybody. But I just for the, uh, for the purpose of this. The key, be, are, the, the key arena is the most expensive arena I've ever been in. Well, I'm, I'm it's I, mad. I'm looking forward to going to it, and um, and then I'm going to the Apple Cup, which is the day after that. So it's it's like a perfect w- weekend uh, weekend for me. I'm right. all sport, and then I'm flying back on Sunday. So go have three games of sport, and then back. Mountain. yeah. The the key, key arena is unbelievable, but it's like eighteen dollars for. A light beer. So don't have anything to eat or drink in, <laughs> no, no. in, the, in the arena. <laughs> no, basically no. Yeah, just, just eat, eat and drink somewhere in Queen Anne and just sit on your hands for two two hours, whatever it is. Well, the last, I went there, the only time I've ever been there was when it was, you know, the old Key Arena. And it's, it cost me $10 to watch the Supersonics play, which at the time was <laughs> five quid. And I could not believe it. They were playing the San Antonio Spurs with the defending champions. And we were sat there with the misses in 2000 and. Eight, it was maybe 2009, and could not believe how cheap it was. Well, 2008, I think, is when they announced they were leaving, so it probably yeah. was a, a it was protest. before that. It was before it was before that was announced. It was before Kevin Durant was drafted. So I don't know. It That's... was 2006. It was 2006. My apologies. It was 2006 that we were there. It's yeah, the arena's unbelievable, but yeah. Um, where can people catch all your stuff as the season and college season? Well, picks it's, back it's, it's going to pick up, yeah, it's picking up now. So, um, I'll be back on it. I have had the busiest summer ever in terms of day job, but um, I am going to start silkstrapblog.com, uh, YouTube channel, Rob State and Football, and on Twitter, if you can live with the South Yorkshire football tweets, <laughs> um, there will be some Seahawks sprinkled in as well. Yeah, cool. Uh, all usually means the methods Spotify, you uh, not YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Uh, yeah, until next time, it's been a while. Back at it, the pedestrian podcast will be back soon. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs>